0: amazing that um, indeed the songs that we're singing have so much life and so much power in them. And the promises that are there are for us all. All to be take all for us to take hold of. We're not just singing words for the word's sake, we're actually there's so much more. And there's so much life in them as we do. It's just wonderful. It was really encouraging this morning, you may, may be seated. It was so encouraging this morning, just to, at the prayer meeting, just to see so many people come, and we gathered around the front. and It's just like Wednesday morning; things are changing because God is doing something really unique and powerful in this place, and it's just so incredible. So, I really encourage you to be part of the Wednesday prayer meeting, and also on the Sunday morning. It is so amazing because it is so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Out of space, it sounds like, isn't it? <laughs> but uh, I really do encourage you to come because that's where the life and everything is happening at these prayer meetings. And as, as part of a body, I really encourage you to be part of it. We, we, we've been actually doing an incredible, when you think about it, an incredible series on the DNA of Abba, Our father. And we've looked at the aspect of love and we've spent the whole year looking at love. And you think, how can you spend a whole year preaching on love? Well, he is love. And every aspect of it. We could go on and on and on. The Apostle John, so the story goes, is that he was criticised because all he preached about was love. And they said to him, can't you preach on something else? And he turned around and he said to them, can you love? It's a big question, isn't it? Can we love? Can we love like Him? Are we being transformed and changed, or are these just messages that you're just hearing? But there's something really, really powerful. Sorry, there's a lot of echo going on. But there's something really, really powerful when we start to actually engage and to receive and believe in all that God is giving us, and so we begin to change. And we are transformed on the inside. That's when his love is in us. He is love. He's living in us. We become love. We become his wisdom on the earth. We become his life on the earth. We become all that he is. And that's what God is really doing in this place. It's no longer about sitting and hearing messages. It's actually being about being, our lives being transformed and changed. We have so much before us, we really do. So, why love? Well, love is a foundation. Love is a foundation. Unless we build upon the firm foundation, which is Christ, we will build according to man. And how does man build? Through tradition, through entertainment, through formulas, through great ideas, what's convenient. You know, we make it all about us. We build it our own way. And one thing that God really spoke to, to Greek was about was can you let me build my church? In other words, can we step out of the way and let God build it the way he's designed it to be built? Yes. And to build something, you have to clear away all the rubble that we've built in the past so that you can start again at the foundations. And love is... He is love, is that firm foundation upon which which we build. It's so powerful. And we've looked at so many aspects of his love. It's just incredible. It's been an incredible year when we've looked at it. And I want to look this morning at another part of his love toward us. You know, God is so lavish in love that he's given us an inheritance for us to take hold of. And it's, it's like a father wanting to bless his children. That's what he is. Bless his children with so much. But it's there for us to take hold of if we want it. And God's desire is for us all to come into and to know his love. And his love towards us is that he has an inheritance for us. Did you know that we have an inheritance? And if we have an inheritance... What is the inheritance? Have you ever asked that question? I want to turn to Ephesians because Ephesians is, just has so much in it and it just reveals so much of what God is wanting to pour out upon us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. In Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to be adopted, sorry, to us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to His good pleasure of His will. Are you hearing this? to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. In that dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. In him we have also obtained an inheritance, being predestined according according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. If you go down to verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. Wow. You can live in that book. I love that book of Ephesians. Because there is just so much in that. How many promises has God given us just in those verses alone? Have they become real to us? Have they become the the living substance of Christ formed in us? There is just so much there. It says in, one, uh, says in uh, Colossians um, that, and I'll just quickly read it. Colossians one uh, twelve, it says, "Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light." And one Peter one four talks about our inheritance as being incorruptible, incorruptible. Sorry. <laughs> incorruptible and undefiled. So really, you know, we've obtained inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. A guarantor is what? Is one that is imparting out the inheritance. It is to be revealed in us because our eyes have to be open to see what God has given us. And that's why the Holy Spirit is there as the guarantor is to actually open up our eyes for us to see what is on offer. And we've been, we've been qualified to become partakers of it. You're not there to, oh yes, I'm just out on the side all the time. You're actually qualified to, to partake of all that God has for you regardless of your state. His love covers all, and it's incorruptible and undefiled. Wow, what an amazing thing. All because God loves his children. God's love is there. So what is our inheritance? Have you ever thought? Numbers 18, verse 20, and I'll just paraphrase it if you like. God was speaking to the Levites. He's speaking to Aaron, the priest, the Levite priests. All the 12 tribes, 11 of them, had the land divided up between them. And that was their inheritance, the land. But for the Levites, they were not to have land. God was to be their inheritance. In the natural, you might think, oh, well, okay, I came off second best there. <laughs> you know, I was hoping for a house and a this and that. And I only get God. Well, <laughs> actually... There's everything in God. You've got more than what you realize. You've got that intimacy. You've got that closeness. He supplies all your needs. But in our natural minds, we get it all so muddled up. But God was to be their inheritance. 1 Peter 2.9 says that we are a royal priesthood. We are a royal priesthood. They were priests. Their inheritance was God. We are a royal priesthood. So who is our inheritance? Christ, God. He is our inheritance. And Deuteronomy 32 says, we are also his inheritance. So he's our inheritance and we are his inheritance. It's like the bride and the bridegroom coming together. Isn't that so powerful? So yes, he is our inheritance, but we are also His inheritance. When we start to meditate upon that, what does that mean? We can say it in words so quickly, but what does it mean? How does it come down to us? Everything is in Him, everything is found in Him. And when He becomes your source of everything, life flows, but we have to let go of what we know. It's incredible, I love that song that we've been singing, Um, I can't even think of the name of it, but it says, I will become what I am beholding. What are you beholding? I will become what I'm beholding. I will abandon all I know. Will you abandon all that you know to come into what is life? There is nothing you're withholding from me, God. Beautiful song, I love it. So he's our inheritance, we are his inheritance, but our inheritance is what is hidden in him. This gets really, (laughs) there's so much more. What's hidden in Christ that is to be revealed to us? See, there's a lot of questions being asked, but are we asking, seeking, and knocking? And that's what God is wanting us. Can you imagine God just giving us everything on a plate and saying, there you go. He did that for the children of Israel. What did they do? They grumbled, they complained, it wasn't good enough. They they were wanting this and wanting that. But God places it there for us to discover and to uncover it. So what's found in him? It has to be revealed. Everything in God has to be revealed. What's hidden in him? I could share a whole lot of things with you. But unless you've discovered it, unless it's revealed to you, it won't make any difference. There'll be concepts, there'll be words. It was funny, I was trying to work out how to describe it. And this morning when we had the prayer meeting, we all came up to the front. And we had shadows going everywhere, left, right and center. You now a shadow distorts. It can come off at different angles, it can fade, it can come and go. It, uh, you know, When it goes upstairs, it distorts. It's not real. It hasn't got any substance to it. And that's what it's like when we we know about the bride of Christ, when we hear about the bride of Christ, when we hear about what it is to rule and reign with him, when we hear about his love and his promises, when we hear about those hidden treasures within, which are in himself. What is all on offer becomes like a shadow that distorts and that we can never really grasp. I can't jump onto my shadow. I can't take hold of it but I can see Danny. I can see his form. I can see his shape. I can touch him. He is real. And when we see, and he's revealed to me, I know he's there, and I can live from that because from what's been revealed to me suddenly becomes a living conviction, and I live out of those promises. I live out of that inheritance because of what I know and what's been revealed in my heart. And that's why God is saying... I want to reveal it to you as you spend time with me. Okay. Otherwise, it's just a shadow yeah. that comes and goes. And shadows, everything moves. <laughs> but he wants to reveal so much more to us. He wants us to grow deeper. You know, There's so much. All that is written is to be revealed to us. Yeah. What's <laughs> hidden in here? Hidden in Christ for us to be looking for, going deeper. Have you ever seen a child in a treasure hunt? And they find something and their faces light up and they unwrap it, whether it's chocolate or whatever it is. There's this real joy that comes over them and they consume it. Before you have time to say anything, they've consumed it. (laughs) And his father is wanting to do that. There's treasures there for us to uncover. And when it's revealed, go, oh! Wow, I see it. It suddenly becomes alive in you, rather than me just speaking it, and it doesn't have any impact. And did you see the news the other day? Those people that were looking for treasure on their own place, and they had one of those um, in England, one of those metal detectors, and they're going along. Suddenly, went beep 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 beep, and I thought, "Oh gosh, what's this?" And they started digging, and they uncovered over a hundred coins at the time of ten sixty six. When the Norman conquest happened, and they were in really good condition, over a hundred of them. they're worth millions of pounds. Basically, you know, nothing else matters. They found this treasure. And they were showing it on the news, and it's amazing at that. Some Saxon coins and some Norman coins, right on 1066. Incredible. What is there to discover for us? It's going to set our lights. Get your metal detectors on this word. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit is waiting to reveal it to us. He's the guarantee of our inheritance as as we look at it. Esau sold his inheritance because of his flesh the desires of his flesh, because of the hunger that was in him for to satisfy the desires of his flesh. And we can do the same thing. We can be ruled by our flesh that cuts us off from actually coming into all that God wants us to come into. And he lost his, his inheritance. Even though he cried to get it back, he couldn't at that, at that point. Why? Because it had no value He had no value of his inheritance. And that's really the whole point of this message. How much do we value our inheritance? How much do we value what God has given? Abraham and Lot, they had to divvy up what they had because they they were so big. They they were stepping on each other and there were arguments breaking out. So Abraham and Lot stood together (coughs) and they looked over the vast countryside and Abraham being the gracious man he was, said to Lot, hey, look, you choose. And Lot looked with his natural eyes and he saw what was like the garden of God. Like the garden of God. And we can see things with our natural eyes that look like the things of God, but they can be the things of the earth. They can have natural appeal, but we can miss everything. So Lot looked like it and he went for it. Abraham, he couldn't have cared less, desert, whatever it was. Because he'd seen something, his inheritance had been revealed on the inside of him, and he saw something that he wanted, and nothing on the earth would satisfy him. So they lived in tents. They were a people on a journey, not trying to put down (laughs) roots, if you like, into the earth And Abraham lived in accordance to what had been revealed to him. And you will live in accordance to what's been revealed to you. Otherwise, if it's only the fleshly stuff, that's all you'll desire. But God has so much. It's not about the temple, it's about the eternal. But God's promises are for us today to come into as much as they are about the eternal. God's love is so lavish toward us when we start to consider all that he has for us, and that he has held nothing back, will we ask, seek, and knock? And that's why he's shaking this church, so that we're not reliant on the things of the flesh, we're not reliant on the things that we've always done and what we've always built, but on him, that he becomes our everything, our source because he is life. In him is life. There is nothing outside of him. So I really encourage you to find, uh, discover. So why is it that we struggle about our, our inheritance? Why is it we struggle to receive? And this morning I want to show you and reveal to you a story that has really gripped me. And I know I've spoken on it before. But you know when you read something, you see more? And I know Sam spoke on it uh, a little while ago as well. But I just want to go a little bit uh, deeper with it. But it's the story of Mishibosheth and his inheritance. And we can learn from this. I wonder if if we could turn to 2 Samuel 9, verse 1 to 13. 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's a powerful story, this one. Now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him him kindness for the Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. Then the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show (coughs) kindness, the kindness of God? Interesting, the kindness of God. And Ziba said to the king, there is still the son of Jonathan who is lame in both feet, in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed he is in the house of Micah, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then the king David sent and brought him out of the house of Micah, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Meshibosheth, the son of David, the son of Saul had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Meshibosheth. And he answered, Here is your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for this Jonathan, your father's sake, and I will restore you to the land of your, the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and he said, What is your servant? that you should look upon such a dead dog as I. And the king called Ziba and Saul's servant and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and all to his sorry and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and servants shall work the land for him and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Meshebosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread from my table always. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded, his servant will do. Uh, your servant will do. As for Meshebasheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. And then verse thirteen, Meshebasheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table. And he was lame in both feet. Just very, very quickly, there's four main four characters I want to have a look at because they're all really important. And forgive me if I'm saying it wrong, Sheath. It's quite a <laughs> mouthful to say. King David Ziba, who's the servant, and Micah, the son of Amiel. Now, Meshebosheth, before he was born, he was what? He was royalty. Before you were born, you are royalty. You're part of God's family. That has to be revealed to us. Right. What happened before time actually has a real big impact. Because when you know the beginning, or the, the end from the beginning, just like God knows, actually, yeah. we're his children. Yeah. And you know what his name means, Shef. It means dispeller of shame. Dispeller of shame. This was a prophetic word over his life. His name meant that no longer would he live under the shame of his grandfather. No longer would he live under the shame of all that which was past. That he would come into the freedom of who God had made him to be. And he would dispel anything that would come at him. Because of what the substance was to be in him. You know, we are dis- a dispeller of shame too. We're not here to live under the shame of what we've done in the past. And yet the shame can be the one thing that become, helps us to become lame in both feet. When we live in shame, when we live in the, uh, the thing of the past, it will trip us up unless we learn to let it go. I know what that's like. So powerful, you are a dispeller of shame. And then suddenly there was a tragic accident. And in one day, he's crippled. His nurse dropped him, and he's crippled in his feet. But he also becomes an orphan. His father dies on the battlefield. So he becomes disconnected from his father. And that's really, I mean, it's the story of salvation, isn't it? We became, because of sin, we're disconnected from our father. And there was no way that he could restore that relationship. And we can be crippled in sin. We can be crippled with all the things that go on. So because of his condition, he couldn't come before the king. King David made a rule that no no blind or crippled person or anyone with deformity could come before him without being killed. So there was that thing that he couldn't come. So there was no way he could come into it. He was isolated, withdrawn. He was living in the wilderness debar basically means wilderness, exiled. So he's disqualified. What a life. He went from one thing to another. But look at David. David has moved out of love and kindness, the kindness of God. And this is the type of love that God wants to place in our hearts to love others. We can't love other people the way that God loves. But when his love is in us, It changes everything. So Jonathan, he's been killed. uh, He's got this covenant with Jonathan and he wants to fulfill it. And God's got a covenant with us through his blood of his son to bring us into restoration. And so he brings um, Meshibosheth into him and he receives him as he is. Technically, Meshibosheth was a threat to David and his throne. I wonder if you ever looked at that. Because technically he was a prince and he could have been a threat to him. David doesn't look at that. He loves him for who he is. And God loves us for who we are. Have you ever thought about the greatest threat to your throne, the throne of your heart, as your flesh? (laughs) We can look at it so differently. But he's received unconditionally And he's received as one of his sons. Isn't it amazing? It says, he says four things to her, and this is really, really important. Number one, he says, Your grandfather's land, your inheritance, will be restored to you. Number two, the land is to be fruitful and to bring in a harvest. You know, our our inheritance is actually to have a harvest for him. And he shall eat continually at the king's table, eating the king's bread and that he shall be a son at his table. Intimacy with the king. And all of that is for us as well. I wonder how overwhelming it was for Meshavosheth when he heard all that. He comes in there thinking he's going to be killed, but actually David's love is poured out toward him and says, hey, look, this is all for you. It's all restored. It's a rag to riches story. Just like that, and it's instant. And that's how God deals with us too. When he forgives us, it is instant. And he has us to bring us into. We don't have to try and work our salvation. We don't have to try and work anything. He is there, and he does it instantly. He just needed to receive it and to accept it and to live from it. And that's where we struggle sometimes. We struggle to receive and to accept what God has for us. Let's have a look at why. Because, you know, when you look at it, everything's restored to him. He becomes, he begins to sit at the king's table. He does all these things. He's, he's got everything on offer. But it keeps on saying, it's amazing how many times it's repeated. And he was lame in both feet. And it kept coming back and coming back and coming back. I wonder why they kept putting that statement in there. Because everything seemed so great. And then suddenly it's like, I don't know whether you've seen somebody tied up with a piece of elastic and they're running hard. And then suddenly it stretches until it can't do any further. And then you go, piong, you go back to the start. And that's what it's like when we live under things that will trip us up all the time. And God wants to, to free us from that. Externally, he had changed, but internally, nothing had really shifted. And that's why we have to have our minds renewed. When we get born again, we get saved, we get changed, we get brought into his presence. We have free access to it. We can eat from his table, but there's more than that. Now God wants to work in us to renew our minds and to bring us and to have Christ formed in us. But we can become blind or consumed with our state, and yet God doesn't see us as we see ourselves. We become blind and lame in our own mentality, and this becomes a blockage. And we need to be set free from ourselves ourselves, our flesh. Let's have a look at this. What held him back? Number one, all that had been given to him from before his birth was restored to him, his inheritance was for the taking. And that's exactly what God has for us. I wonder if he realized what he'd had, what had been given to him. Sometimes children that are brought up in, 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 in homes of huge you know, um, yeah. mansions and all sorts of things where they've got everything at, on tap, I wonder how much they really value what their parents have given them. Yeah. Sometimes they take it for granted. I wonder what Sheth did. The second thing was the inheritance was to be fruitful. And God's designed the inheritance that he's given us, which is him being formed in us, and all his promises for us to actually take hold of and to live from. And out of that comes the fruit of living a life like that. We begin to see like him. We begin to pray like him. We begin to pray, you know, we begin to, you know, every part of love like him. Kindness, gentleness, The fruit of the Spirit, it's all there. It just comes out. We don't have to try and be it. It's there. It's being fruitful. And that's the inheritance that God wants to grow and mature in us. The third thing was that he was given the opportunity and the privilege to sit at the king's table continually and eat from that king's table. The king ate the best food. What the king ate, you ate. Nothing was held back. It was incredible. You think what, what's on offer. How much are we eating from the king's table? What are the messages that are going forth from this place? That are It's the king's table coming to you. How much are we eating of it and growing of it and, and allowing it to change your lives? There is so much on offer in this place. You know, we have people that visit us Or we've had friends from Auckland and Christchurch who actually tune into these messages and they're just blown away. And some of them have said, why isn't this being preached in our church? We take it for granted often. We can take messages and people who speak it for granted and never fully receive what God has on offer. I wonder what you're growing and taking off, partaking of. There's so much here. Even if we were to take uh, just a couple of these messages and absorb them into us, boy, we'd be changed people. Transformed, changed. Nothing was withheld, and nothing's withheld from us. We just have to receive it. And to eat continually. Notice that word continually? Not just occasionally, but continually. See, there's three eating conditions, I suppose, if you like. The one is spiritual anorexia. When you have anorexia, and I'm not trying to put anything on anybody here, and it's a difficult condition, it really is. Because you think you're something that you're not. You think you're overweight. You, think you see yourself as overweight, and so you try and starve your body of the food that it's crying out for and you get thinner and thinner, and you actually do a lot of damage to your organs. I wonder if, you know, then we can pick and choose what we want. We can pick and choose what we think is good, and we can leave this hard (laughs) stuff, we can leave this, we can leave that, and you suddenly just become, you lose your appetite to eat. And we can lose our appetite, and we can become complacent. And we sit back and we'll just pick a little bit here and a little bit there. And we don't grow because there's no basis or there's no platform for faith to grow. That's one condition that we can have. The other condition is gluttonous and overweight. Where we can eat and eat and eat and eat. And we can gain a whole of a head knowledge but never change on the inside. That's the opposite extreme. We just consume everything, but it's all in here. But our hearts are never changed. Spiritual obesity. In head knowledge, there's no life. And I've been there. And I've consumed and I've studied all sorts of things and found a lot of amazing facts and figures and what this means and what that means. But can I live the life that God's called me to live? You find unless... He's doing the work in you. You can't live that life. You will try in your own strength and fail. So that's why God is shaking this place. Hey, he wants to do the work in us. I love what, uh, I was listening to an old message about the bride of Christ uh, that Greg gave way back in 2012, I think it was, and he said this statement, it is not what we don't know that's the problem but what we think we know that gets in the way. Whoa. (laughs) We can fill our head with a lot of knowledge, but we can miss it. And we can become familiar, becoming familiar with the king. uh, Nothing begins to penetrate. And what the king says just washes over us. And we become familiar with everything. We don't treat them with the love and respect. We struggle to receive from them. Not mana, mana again mana or whatever you call it. Not mana again. I'm sick of this stuff. Day in, day out, Sunday after Sunday, the same old thing. And we sow it washes over us and it has no impact. We become picky and choosy of what we want. And we struggle to receive it. And each condition, each of those three conditions numbness numbs us from the reality of what God wants to bring. And we can just let our inheritance just wash right over us it's all there and we can just be sitting and not receiving and the last thing was he was his he was a son in the king's house and this is where Sheth struggled the most he was suddenly a son not an orphan anymore he was a son but he didn't have a revelation of what that love the love of god was And that's why love is so foundational. If we don't have a revelation of his love toward us, we will always be trying to live a life that is trying to please people and trying to please God and trying to be someone we're not. We're trying to be acceptable. But God has made us accepted in the beloved. We are his children. And he was anchored so securely in the past and it became a safety net for him you know when we're anchored into something it becomes a safety net and when we're trying to step out of something we we feel a bit afraid so we go back and retreat into what we know that's why he was lame in both feet he couldn't step out of something without feeling uncomfortable sometimes things are uncomfortable but god is trying to set us free and we've got to learn how to take those first steps Otherwise, it's like a piece of elastic pulling us back every time. And God wants to sever that. He saw everything through the eyes of his fleshly realm. So everything the king said, he saw through the flesh and became distorted, just like those shadows. No matter what the king said, it was all filtered through here, through a filtering system. And we all have filters in our our lives. You know, we all go through things. We all go through ups and downs, some more than others. And it is difficult at times. And I'm not trying to belittle the things that you go through in life. But there comes a time when God wants you to let it go and to let him have a go. You know, there were two twin sisters in World War II, Jewish, and they, they both went through the camps and they saw the most horrific things and they experienced the most horrific things. One sister decided not to forgive and she hated. She became bitter and twisted. She died at a young age. Her other sister chose to forgive and enjoy life. She lived to 110. They made a movie of her, and a month before she, uh, she, she died, a month before she won the Oscar for it, <laughs> the, there was a, there's a, a thing on it just about. Five six years ago, and she was a concert pianist, and she played, and she loved life because she chose to forgive. Now you can become entrenched in what has happened, to you, and we can hold it back, and it becomes like we are crippled in both feet, and we can never really step out. but it comes down to a choice: Can we allow God's love to penetrate? those barriers that we've built up over our lives and allow him in to set us free. It's so powerful when you hear testimonies like that. So he let his brokenness rule and define his life, no matter how great the opportunities were that stood before him. You know, his root source, and we've been talking about this a little bit, what was his root source? See, when we've... And this was a real revelation to me because I, I hadn't really thought about it over the years. What is our root source that we're taking drawing everything from? Is it the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, or is it the tree of life? The knowledge of tree of good and evil is both good and evil, but it comes from the same source. It's earthly, Whereas the tree of life is from him. He is the tree of life. And it's a matter of transferring from there into the tree of life. And no matter how good it is back there, it's, it still draws upon the same thing. Yeah. You know, we tried years ago to to, cha- to to transplant this bush, which was probably about as tall as I was, and it was about this. And we thought we'd just shift it from there over to about here. We thought that was going to be pretty e- easy. And we unrooted all the, the, the little roots all around the side and things like that. That was fine, but we could not shift this tree because there was this... You know, they call it a taproot that goes right down into the ground. And it is hard. It goes right down to the source of root. And that's become what the tree draws upon the most. And it draws from, unless that is cut, the roots and all this whole system around it, yeah. nothing will happen. Yeah. And you've got to get this tree out. Eventually we have to cut it and then transfer it over. It's still alive today. <laughs> it lived. <laughs> I'm sure that's not how they do, do it with... Uh, other bushes, but we, (laughs) its how we did it. But it's the same thing with us. What is the, I mean, God doesn't transplant a a whole bush. In actual fact, he cuts off one branch and then he grafts it in. But God, what about all those other dead branches? I'm very fond of them. (laughs) I've had some really good experiences with that. Why can't we bring the whole thing over? God says, no, just one. I'm going to graft you in so that suddenly you draw from a new source, new life comes. Not all that old dead stuff that you're so fond of. And that's the trouble is we're so fond of what we had or have that we don't want to let it go thinking we're going to miss out on everything. And yet God wants to graft us into something that has new life. How the root system is so important. And did you know a tree can't uproot itself? (laughs) So you need God's help to be able to do it. It has to be God doing the work in you. Because he didn't have a revelation of who he was in God, he didn't know, sorry, because he didn't have a revelation of who God was, he didn't know who he was. Because he didn't know who he was, he couldn't fully receive his inheritance. Because he couldn't receive his inheritance, there was no way he could become fruitful as the king desired. Sadly, the words what the king spoken to him had very little impact, and so everything is linked. Everything is linked. So he sat at the king's table. And he sat at the king's table. And life passed him life life passed him by. Why? Because he was lame in both feet. He was attending but he wasn't present. He wasn't partaking of everything that the king had for him. It's a good thing for us. But to just to make matters worse, something was stirring that he didn't even know that was eroding his inheritance, and he wasn't even aware of it. You see, a lot of people... Preach the story of Mashibo Shef, and they just preach it as a salvation message, and they leave it there. What a wonderful story it is. Yes, it is, but there's so much more. And the trouble is that we've, you know, we forget that actually God wants to mature us and bring us into everything, bring us into our inheritance, bring us into freedom, bring us into life, which is all found in him. It's a journey that he wants us to take, not camp where we just got saved. It's a journey of transformation. So what was right under his nose that was going on? Let's, let's have a look at Ziba. Ah, good old Ziba, eh? Saul's servant. So he's in charge of Saul's estate. He's very wealthy. But was it really his? You see, in those days... If there was no heir, or if the heir didn't claim the inheritance, it went to the head servant. So, oh, he's sitting on a bit of a gold mine there. And he's enjoying it. He had 15 sons. Whoa, that's a big household, isn't it? 20 servants. So he was, he was pretty wealthy. Things were going okay. But then David calls him and speaks to him. And commands him that all the inheritance was to be given back to Mishibosheth. Can you think about that for a minute? Have you suddenly thought about what's going on here? Suddenly he's got all this wealth and suddenly it's gone. I'm back to a servant status. The inheritance that I had, the inheritance that I was enjoying is suddenly gone. I mean, it's like Satan as well. He thinks you're his, but you don't belong to him at all. It's ripped right out from underneath his his feet. You know, I bet he was hoping that David was going to say, right, let's get rid of Meshebosheth. and then it would have all been legal. It would have been okay, but it wasn't. So he's there. His worst fears are realized. He's just lost his inheritance. So how does Ziba react Does he throw a wobbly? Does he have a tantrum? Does he swear and carry on? No, he reacts with dignity and compliance. Wow, what a guy. Hard-working, faithful, obedient. Many of us would have shaken his hand and rewarded him for the outstanding efforts to his service and also his character. See, we've got to understand that, you know, we've got to be able to discern what actually is in front of us. It's an easy trap to lose, to lose sight of. Samuel, when he went to anoint King David, yeah. he saw all his brothers and he was attracted to what was he physically saw. Mm. But God looks on the heart. Right. See, Ziba is from the house of Saul and he represents the flesh and the demonic. Mm. So Ziba has Saul's DNA. Have you thought about that? What's the root source he's drawing from? So do you think he's just going to sit down quietly and take it? I don't think so. But Ziba is smart. He knows how to play his games. He's got that poker face. You can't tell what's going on underneath. And you think you're reading one thing, but he's actually planning something totally different. He's clever. He knows he can abide his time. He knew the weakness of Mashibosheth. He was lame in both feet. You know, we, it's our weaknesses sometimes that can trip us up and hold us back. Sometimes it's our strength as well, actually. <laughs> now, meshibosheth it's like being hoodwinked. You think you're in something, but you're actually not. And we can be hoodwinked, and we can be thinking that we're in something that God is doing, but we can be there, but not actually partaking of it. And when we're in that state, and we don't even realize that, what is on offer can be just eroded right away without us knowing. Zebra may not be able to touch Mishibosheth, but he can touch his inheritance. He can whittle it away. And a servant is not a son. They carry an orphan spirit and they'll do whatever it takes to hold on to what they have got. And a servant was, is not a bond servant. One, a servant was paid to do a job. It's out of duty. It was a hired hand. The other, a bond servant, is one that isn't paid. He wasn't paid. But it was done out of love. And they, they, they lay down their lives to live and to serve Their master out of love. They did it out of love and devotion. That was Paul. Paul was a bond servant to Christ. He wasn't a servant, he was a bond servant. And that's what we're called to be as well. So ziba is really like the flesh in us. Have you ever thought about the flesh in you? It's one of the biggest battles you'll face, is actually your flesh. And your flesh, unless it is put put to death, will actually be waiting like a smoking volcano underneath, (laughs) waiting for you when you're at your weakest point. And when the pressure comes on, bang, what manifests? It's your flesh. It's your flesh coming out. If it's not dead to self, the thing is we can't kill it ourselves. It has to be him that does it. Man, aren't we reliant on him for everything? But actually, that's beautiful. That's how we gain our inheritance when we're totally reliant on him. So finally, the crunch comes. King, King David's kingdom is shaken and Absalom comes to try and take over the throne. So David has to flee and the people flee with him. But when he leaves... Where is Meshebosheth? Oh, that's right. He is lame in both feet. You see, sometimes there are things that have to happen and we have to move. When God says move, we've got to move. But if you're lame in both feet, it's like the ten virgins. Five were ready and five weren't. Why weren't five ready? Because really, they were lame in both feet. They couldn't do what they they couldn't live out what God had given them. And it was there on offer. All ten had the same privileges. And it's the same thing with him. He was totally reliant on others to help him, but this time there was no one. He missed the boat. And God doesn't want any of us to miss the boat. So are you hearing the frequency of what God is wanting to bring to this place? To awaken. What is it that God has for us that we can come into? Or we will lose it. Now, Ziba makes his move. If we go to 2 Samuel chapter 16, just very, very quickly, verse 1, they're, they're fleeing. When David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Sheph, who met him with a couple of saddle donkeys, and on them 200 <coughs> loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, and 100 summer fruits and skin wine. And the king said to Ziba, what, what do you mean by uh, to do all these? So Ziba said, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and the summer fruit are for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, And where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he's staying in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will be restored to the kingdom of my father. uh, Sorry, Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, here, all that belongs to Meshibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, O my lord, O king. Ooh. So he's able to take advantage of David's emotional state. And so he's able to manipulate the king and and getting what he wants. And he's done so in the disguise of good works. Isn't that interesting? Never look at good works as just the the final outcome thing. Always look at what's in the heart. Is this of God or isn't it of God? Because we can so easily be fooled by what we see in the natural that we miss what God is actually doing in the spiritual. And we can be manipulated and see something that really isn't of God. But we can be fooled by it. He provides for the king's household. And he guess what he takes? The king's accolades. Wow, this is an amazing guy. But can I ask you one thing though? Where did he get the stuff to to give to him? Was it his? It was somebody else's. It was Mesheboshe's. So really he didn't sacrifice anything. Yet he pulled it off as his. He was cunning. Everybody thought he was so you know we can be so deceived sometimes in what we do for people, and we want the accolades we want we do things to get recognized, and that 's a trap that God wants to set us free from, because what happens when we 're not recognized or we 're not thanked suddenly we get offended in us, but does love become offended no, no. it rejoices with those who rejoice it. It forgives. It doesn't take into account wrong sufferings. All those things. Love, if that's burning in you, you won't be offended. But if it's become part of your identity and who you think you are and you're not thanked, suddenly you become offended. I've seen people taken out of churches because they've become offended. Nobody thanked me. Well, who were you doing it for? And yes, it is good to thank people. We're not not trying to skip over that. But who are we doing things for, him or for ourselves? Ziba, of course, was taking those accolades. Our flesh demands life. So, how generous was he? And I said it didn't cost him anything. Then he comes as Trump move Where is Meshibosheth? And then he lies. He's lying, he's manipulating. Mishibosheth wouldn't have said that because Absalom would have killed him because he would have been a threat to his throne. It was purely because he couldn't move. He didn't have anyone to help him. But Ziba had turned it around. And so, you know, he lost his inheritance just like that. Because of what was, uh, what was said was a lie. You know, our flesh can sell out our spirit, man. Yeah. Our flesh, like Ziba, something can be on offer and we can sell it out because, yeah, it's the Esau thing. Because it's more convenient or it's, it's better, what we think is better. It's, it's easier. It, it can be all sorts of different things. But like Ziba, we can try and take back what we think was good and lose what God has on offer. And I lo- you know that bit at the end, I humbly bow before you, that I might find favor in your sight, O King. It's like uh, Hagen on, on, no, Fagan on on um, uh, Oliver. You know, I'm never so humble. I am never so humble, which he wasn't. And false humility stinks. (laughs) Our flesh likes it, but our spirit man hates it. Notice one thing. When David moves on from there, did Ziba go with him? No. You know, our flesh can't live out or walk out what is expected of us in the spirit. He didn't go even go with them. He stayed behind too. He, become, he couldn't become the living demonstration as he was too protect, he was too much protecting his own living for self. And so we can sell out our own lives. We can sell out all that God has for us. We can do the talk, but we can't live it. We can't demonstrate it. That's why God is trying to do this work in us, so we're becoming a living demonstration of who He is on the earth. And I, I'm not going to go on for too much longer, but just very quickly in 2 Samuel, David finally comes back. He's grieving; his Absalom's been killed. He's coming back, and he finally meets Meshebosheth, and he says, "Why isn't it that you didn't come?" And Meshebosheth—he's in a terrible state. He hasn't shaved. He hasn't. Looked after himself. He's actually retreated, defaulted back into what he was. He was a mess. And he tells the king the truth. And the king's in this emotional state. He said, Oh, well, you just spit spit the inheritance. You know, I just can't work it out like that. But Ziba just gives it all away. He says, Oh, no, you're going to have the whole thing. You know, (laughs) we can do ourselves out of everything. Now, he still didn't get, he didn't lose his position at the king's table. He's still eight. It's like we don't lose our salvation, but we can lose everything that God has for us if we're not seeking him and looking and to discover all the treasure that's there for us to partake of. And it was so sad, really, because he had everything to, to partake of. But he missed it. Now, there's one person I haven't spoken of that's actually worth speaking about. Very quickly, Micah, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. When Meshibosheth was a young boy fleeing, he was a cripple, who was it that gave him refuge? It was Micah, who gave him safety and refuge at his own expense. Then later on, when you know, David is fleeing, they get to near the Jordan River and four guys meet them. And they give so much more than what um, uh, Ziba gave. They gave all this food for the king and his household to refresh them. He gave generous <coughs> supplies from their own resources and they held nothing back. And because of love for their king and for the people. Guess what? There was no thanks and there was no recognition. But they weren't seeking it. Flesh always seeks it, but the spirit doesn't. And there's no ulterior motive. He gave because he loved. He didn't look for reward to be noticed, to be recognized. He doesn't, you know, love does not seek its own, or the, but seeks the interests of others. And you know, he's only mentioned in three verses in the whole thing. Hardly recognizable. And we just skim past it. And yet, isn't it beautiful? A guy that was living the life out, who wasn't recognized for anything, And yet underneath, God had done something beautiful and powerful in him. So God wants to do something in us that we can't do ourselves. And by surrendering to him, by giving our lives our all to him, he has so much, Ephesians, so much for us to come into. And it's the Father's blessing toward us. So I encourage you, ask, seek, and knock. Discover what is hidden in him. Discover who he is. This is far greater than what we've even known because we can never get to the end of him. There is so much more. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you gave us an inheritance out of your love toward us as a father wants to bless his children. So, Father, I pray that, Lord, you would stir up our hearts to truly seek you for who you are. When we discover who you are, we discover who we are in Christ. When we discover who we are in Christ, we see all that you have on offer and we're able to receive the inheritance that you have for us and we're able to grow in it so that it becomes fruitful in our lives. We become literally a living demonstration of who you are on the earth. So Father, I pray, it's not about trying to Feed our flesh. It's actually about living in the Spirit, living from you as our source for everything and coming into the full life now and for eternity for all you have for us. So Father, I just pray that you'd do a deeper work in each and every one of us, no matter where we are today. Help us to let go of those things that hinder us, that cause us to be lame in both feet. Lord, help us to see clearly, reveal what you want to us, that we may see your word. So, Father, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.